We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the new episode of Home Visit with Tyler Siski and the Associates. Today we got my friend Lawrence Tynes, NFL kicker, won two Super Bowls uh, with the Giants, kicked with the Chiefs, bounced around. Really, really good, really good at the interview. Um, he is an awesome human being, uh, very will be entertaining. You'll enjoy it. And we'll, as soon as we finish up with him, we'll get you out of here so you can enjoy your week. So sit back and relax. Enjoy this week's episode of Home Visit. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, longtime friend, former NFL kicker, Super Bowl champion, Lawrence Tynes. LT, how we doing, brother? Tyler, what is up, man? How you been? <laughs> man, if I was any better, I'd be you, brother. You got yeah. it. I, just so the fans know when you go on and see him, you know, LT came on and he hit me with, "Man, you got a great, you got a great setup there." And then, you know, I happened to notice the two Lombardi trophies you got sitting behind you, man. I'm a little jealous. Yeah, they. I was surprised they actually give the kickers trophies when you win the Super Bowl. Um, but they actually, I kind of bought these on an underground secondary market, so they're they're kind of real, but not like the real ones you see on Sunday when teams win it. Are they are they heavy like the Lombardi trophy? Yeah. Um, Could you knock yeah, somebody heavy. out? Yeah, they're heavy. I mean, they look and feel, as you can see. Will we be on video? No, this is just audio. No, it's they video. look, they look and feel about as real as it gets. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I found this guy. We're not going to name him, but um, <laughs> you know, you you can get these in the underground world out there. Uh, I don't want the NFL to get on him, but he does exist. You pay him in Bitcoin. You can. Um, I went with uh, I went with Dogecoin. I was on the Dogecoin kick. Yeah. I was too. <laughs> Do you, did everybody make a little bit of money off the Dogecoin? Because I know I did. I like, did. Last I May right or two Mays ago, it was going. It went to like seventy five cents. I think. I think I got in at twelve. But what a freaking world we live in. Isn't it great? It's awesome. I mean, we're all making money off invisible shit. It's pretty funny. <laughs> you need to get NFTs of yourself now. 
Yeah, I don't understand that market yet, but I'm trying to because I see people selling virtual homes for millions of dollars. <laughs> I mean, what in the hell is going on? It's the world we live in, brother. We got mm-hmm. transfer portal NILs and NFTs. You got it's, the, it's all of the abbreviations is what we're doing. Hey, the uh, I want to tell a little story. You know, when I first saw you, I don't know if I've even told you this before. I think I have, but um, I transferred from Auburn to Troy. And we get there and we start working out in the summer with Shaughnessy and he tries to kill all the transfers, you know, the first day. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we go out to throw uh, after the workout and you're out there kicking. I had no idea, first of all, when you were in the weight room, I had no idea that you were a kicker because you were not the typical kicker that I was used to being around. So I didn't know what position. What kind of was. vibe did I Did I give you like a quarterback vibe, a receiver, DB? You know, a little bit, of, a little quarterback vibe, you know, okay. a little, maybe a safety vibe, a little, a little. You know, yeah, I was. You know, I was a safety in high school. So. Yeah, and so you were. That's right. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. You, you were a baller. Um, and then when I saw you kick, you did one thing. I was like, man, you know what? I think this guy is pretty damn good. I saw you, and this is in college, moving the football like a golf ball, and able mm-hmm. to bend it. I guess you could say it. I mean, I know you're a soccer guy and it's a background, yep. but I was like. I looked at, I remember telling you, I was like, Hey, I said, are you doing that on purpose? And you're like, yeah, I kick it around the rush. And were you bullshitting me or were you being dead serious? A little bit of BS on the kicking it around the rush. Cause that's damn near impossible. But you know, I was a self-taught guy and um, ironically me and Bubba Watson grew up together, played golf. I quit okay. golf because of Bubba, but Bubba's known actually for moving the ball, right? Yeah. The way he, he never had a lesson and being from Milton, Florida, there, there's not a lot of options per se, for someone to teach you how to kick or golf. Now, Boo Weekly and Heath Slocum also went to my high school. Yep. So we had this golf mecca. But moving the ball for me was just something that was fun. Like I I, I was self-taught, like I said, and I could do it. Um, you know, I could hit a slice. I could hit a draw, a little baby fade. I mean, sometimes that came in handy when you're playing in the Meadowlands in December or some of these stadiums in the NFL where you got to kind of hold the ball up in the wind um and make your kick so you know being self-taught it was something that I learned and kind of taught myself and I think it really benefited me you know as I kind of went through my career now and then the other legend I needed I need to like clarify here is legend is, is that you were playing soccer in high school and then you were asked by a coach to try to kick a football did you know how to kick a football before then is that true or what's the deal there so no. So, so Mike McMillan, uh, God rest his soul. He passed away about four or five years ago in a car accident, but he was our defensive coordinator at Milton and he was also our PE teacher. Right. So my junior, right before in my junior year, he, he asked me in PE class, Hey Lawrence, look, we need a kicker. You want to come out here and, and try and kick footballs. And he took me to the, to the outfield of the baseball field. And we had an upright out in center field, just kind of where we practiced during the the season, like in the grass back there. And basically his motto was to me, he put the tee down the ball, then he threw his, you know, uh, PE teachers have a big old wad of keys all the time, right? To open up all these doors, (laughs) typical PE teacher. Um, And Mike threw his keys down. He said, all right, kick the ball, pick the keys up. Um, And it was really just kind of a drill to keep my head down. So it was funny, uh, throughout the rest of my career, I never stopped kicking from that point. So Mike McMillan, if it wasn't for him, I probably would have never started kicking. But I always told myself, uh, pick the keys up. That was my thing. Every time, NFL, college, high school, every time I kicked the ball, I just told myself, pick the keys up because it really helped me keep my head down. Um, but yeah, it's a true story. It's wild to think that 
you know, had he had never asked me, um, we wouldn't have met. I probably wouldn't have played football. I just really, you know, I was a small kid in high school. I was five, three, like 90 pounds in ninth grade. Really? It, I was tiny. Yeah. And, um, I didn't grow till probably in between like sophomore and junior year. And then I was like, man, I'm six two. I, I was looked like a damn Pez dispenser. I had this big old head and like 140 pound body, like like a damn. You went from five like, three to six two. Man, in a hurry, in like so, probably 15, 16 months. Yeah. So you're saying I, I, my my kids still have hope? Is that what you're trying to tell? They me? do have hope, but you know okay. DNA is undefeated, so, <laughs> so you're no, not that don't. tall. Right. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah, I. I just grew. And then, you know, I got some self-confidence cause I was like, all right, I'm a, I'm a bigger dude now. Uh, try to put weight on and play a little safety and yeah, it just kind of happened so fast, but I, I was a little dude and then kicking was really my, my way to get to college. I never knew that you were that small, man, little, my kid right now, you know, my two boys, they're freshmen. One's five ten, The other one's like six one. So they just, everyone grows at different times. It's crazy. All right. Hey, one thing I think it's really cool, um, and and you know this. So when I was at Auburn, you know, it's we're going to spend some time on the mentality part of playing sports, and it's not about just playing sports. I yeah. think it's about being successful. Period. And anything you do, we're going to spend some time on that here in a second. But I want to talk a little bit about. It was very unique. I was at Auburn, and one of my buddies at Auburn was Rob Baronis. Uh, God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. um, and the grind of. And then when I get to Troy and then and then you at Troy was a friend of mine and then the similarities and the mentality that it takes. But let's talk a little bit about the grind that it takes to get to the NFL, because you were an unbelievable kicker in college. Same thing with Rob. Right. So he ended up being a great kicker. Like Rob was cut from Auburn, goes to Georgia Southern for a year and then goes to the NFL. But. Seeing you guys like right out of college, you know, not making an NFL roster right away and then grinding and grinding and grinding. I know you you were with Kansas City on the practice squad for two years, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, going to uh, Canada and, and then going to NFL Europe. Yeah. And before finally getting your shot, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the grind of what you have to go through post-college getting on an NFL roster. It's a it's a huge challenge. I mean, if you think about it, there's 32 people in the world to get the kick in the NFL. And so, you know, when me and Rob were coming out around the same time, it, it if you were a veteran and you were steady, you had a job. And so beating those guys out and getting an organization to, like, believe in you as a young guy was tough. So, you know, naturally you get cut, you go, you get experience, you get cut. You know, for me, I was in Kansas City. Then I went to NFL Europe, came back, got cut again. And then I went to Canada. And so, you know, playing in the CFL was my biggest step in my career because I was playing pro football for money and it was the next best thing in terms of the NFL. So, you know, being able to put together two years, a year and a half, really of film. Um, and when I came out, I had, you know, like 10 offers. So it was like real money. I ended up coming back to Kansas city because I was comfortable there. They gave me a pretty decent amount of money where it's, they told me, okay, you're, we're going to give you a legit shot here to beat out Morton Anderson, which I was able to do. Um, How about but that? Yeah, yeah, and I hate his ass too. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I can't stand Morton Anderson. I would fight him today if I could. Anyway, we'll get to, we can talk about that. Um, I cannot stand him. So, anyway, we, uh, you know, Rob Baronis did the same thing, and Rob was an all pro and a great kicker, but a lot of people went through the grind, the David Akers of the world. You know, you go down the list, Brian Mormon, punters. When you get in, you know, you got to get to that second contract and then you have a job for a long while. But, 
it's a huge challenge, man, but it, it just takes a lot of grit and determination. I kind of gave myself like, like three years. I said, if I don't make it by the time I'm like 25, 26, which was basically where I was when I made it, I said I was done. And it wasn't, it's not necessarily because I didn't think I was good enough, but you got to be lucky and good at the same time. You got to be in the right spot at the right time. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have gotten in training camps and are good enough to play in the NFL. It just wasn't the right time. Yeah. I mean, and you see it across different positions too. I mean, and especially, you know, quarterbacks one, you know, saying is similar. There's one guy that plays, uh, but at least there's two or three roster spots for those guys. Yeah. Uh, kicker has got to be the hardest, you know, and punter. Uh, or probably long snapper, you know, those three specialist spots in the NFL because they're only carrying one, you know. And- right. It's funny because when you're out in public, like people would say, who's your backup kicker? I'm like, uh, whoever the punter is that day and vice versa, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because they can go the next – that's how competitive it, the position is. Like, you know this, like if I, – I got hurt on a Friday uh, in week 10 of like the 2010 season, and Friday's kind of late in the week to to be signing a kicker, but – we had a kicking workout on Saturday. There were seven guys there. And obviously we signed Shane Graham. He was available. But it just goes to show you, that's why the job, man, it, I always said you're two games away from unemployment. Yeah. So it keeps you focused. It keeps you on task. And I still think, you know, outside of quarterback, I think it's the hardest position on the field in terms of mentality. And, and that's, a, that's a good transition. So, when I, and I brought Rob up for this, and we're going, I want to spend some time here on the mentality side of kicking. And, and it's not just kicking, man. This is life. I know you and I have a lot of similar beliefs in this. Um, I don't think it's coincidence, I really don't, that the two kickers that I know personally and have a friendship with, or, you know, with Rob obviously did, those are the only two kickers I've ever been around, and and I've seen a bunch from playing and coaching all over the you know all these years. Only two kickers I've ever known that will fist fight somebody, yeah. and it is you and Rob Baronis. And you never knew, you know, you, you hung out. You were you know a lot of times kickers will you know they don't have a lot in common with the rest of the team, but with you and Rob always hung out. You know, part of the guys would you know would get with it if you had to. Um, not not going looking for a fight, but you would you would you were not beyond getting with it if you had to. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the mentality side and where you sit, because I know you got you know when people look at you and we'll talk about the big kicks you've made, but you know truly having ice water through your veins. I I was a big believer in like team and relationships because I always said to myself, look, this position is so finicky, like. I'm going to miss a big kick one day. I'm going to miss a big kick in a game. It may be a regular season game. It might be a playoff game. And I want to have invested sweat equity with my brothers and teammates. And so that's why I was always like at Troy and then in the NFL, whatever the team was doing, I was doing. If we're lifting weights and we're doing cleaning jerks and we're running and we're squatting and we're timing each other on these gassers, I'm there. I'm with the DBs. I'm with the tight ends. I'm with whoever is working that day because – if I wasn't, it would be very easy for them to say, man, look at this kicker over there. Look at him just chilling, you know, like, which we do at times, right? You can't kick a football all day, but having spent the time with them and then during practice, I would always be with the DBs. Um, I loved hanging out with the DBs. That was kind of my high school position, but I just loved the energy they brought to practice. And that was kind of like my crew, but I would throw the ball drills with the other secondary coaches and just trying to earn equity with your teammates because they'll have your back if you miss a kick. If you don't put in all that time in the offseason with them, 
and sweat and work out and bleed and with them, you, you're, they're going to look at you and they're, you're just going to be kind of a cast off. So it's one thing I've told all these young kickers I work with, man, invest yourself with your teammates. Like go spot the guys, go run with them, go work out with them, go do whatever you can to be a part of the team because it is a unique position in terms of it's not physical. I mean, these guys are beating each other's heads in all practice. So the mentality is really just that and then building, you know, your con- you got to have a lot of self-confidence. You got to carry yourself like you're the baddest dude in the world. And it's really just that mentality that gets you to the next level. Yeah, you're not short on, you're we're not short on confidence. No, listen, and, and that was, I, I'm, I have way more confidence than I did talent. And I tell my kids that all the time. Like, I wasn't the most talented guy, but I did outwork people and I did believe in myself. And, you know, O.C. Manora, who you know is an old teammate of ours, I love his, this line. O.C. would always say, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. And, and and that is so true, man. If you don't believe in yourself, how can you sell that to somebody like a coach or a teammate? You how know, about, it's, how it's about, impossible. How about O.C.? And Demarcus Ware, O.C. Umanor, it's crazy. And Demarcus Ware played at Auburn High School. I know. Together it, on the same defense. I, t- I tell that story all the time, and it's like Auburn didn't recruit either one of them. But didn't what Troy was, Troy was so good at being able to project guys because O.C. was a three hundred pound D tackle when he got to Troy. I tell people all the time, and they don't believe me when O.C. showed up. Okay, three hundred pounds, sixteen years old. Yeah, and he was a soccer player, very mm-hmm. very athletic. Yeah. Okay, but pudgy. Bad body and just yep. worked his ass off. And I'm talking about had great time. feet though, oh, incredible feet. feet. And obviously that that was something a staple of his career, getting off the football. And then Demarcus was like 205 or something like that, 200 pounds. I don't know if I've told this on this podcast or not. So my last day at Troy before I when I was a GA or and then before I went to Northwestern State with uh, Steve Roberts, my last weekend was his official visit weekend. He measured in at six foot one. 193 pounds safety. There you on go. Visit. Yeah. He came with his cousin. So he was a cousin and he was a uh, DB, a safety is what we were, wide receiver safety. Wow. And then we turn him into a defensive end. And so, you know, we played for obviously one of the greatest to ever do it, Larry Blakeney. They had a, they had a way of finding guys. Like Troy had to always project kids. They couldn't get the four star to three star guys. We had to get like kind of those kids that we said, we see what this kid could be in two or three years. And, and obviously OC and listen, there was a ton of guys, right? I think my senior year when I went to the league, like we had eight dudes from Troy go to the league. Yeah, they don't JC. even do that. They don't even do that now as a D1 program. Like they're not putting that many guys, whether it's drafted or in undrafted free agents, they're not putting that many guys in the league anymore. Yeah. They, my man Summerall get him right though. He, 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 he oh, does a good job. love him. John Summerall is going to get, take Troy to the promised land. But yeah, I mean, it was Marino Filia, uh, JC. Oh my God! You Jonathan go down Carter. the list. Me, Matt Allen, our punter. Yep. Um, Eric Sloan, the corner. Yep. You know, uh, man, Rayshon Reed, Jimmy McLean, bunch of dudes that uh, came through there. Aaron Field. Aaron Fields, yeah. Yeah, we, we had we had them we had them rolling. The uh, let me ask you this: a lot of people, I don't know how many people know this. Your dad was a Navy SEAL. Yes, he was. All right. Do you did that? Do you think him being a Navy SEAL, did he kind of instill mental, like, you know, as you growing up, do you think that had a lot to do with your mental toughness and development there? I just think the way everyday life was lived at my house in terms of discipline and getting up and, you know, doing chores and like having a list in the morning, you know, dad would go to work and, you know, you go in the kitchen, there's a list. 
that list better be done before he gets home at like four o'clock, five o'clock. It was just the way it was, whether it was raking leaves, you know, doing something in the garage, cleaning up your room. There was always a task. Um, man, I wish I was like that now. My kids are so damn lazy, but, uh, man, it's like, what am I doing? Uh, you know, my dad was just very detail oriented and that's kind of the way I lived my life was like, you know, I walked on it, Troy. I don't know if a lot of people know that I was not on scholarship. Uh, I just had a plan for myself. Now pro football was not the plan. It, that just worked out. But you know, I, this is going to sound cheesy. I never missed a day of class in college ever. Come never on. missed it. Yeah. Not one no. day. I was such a nerd. Yeah. I was like this. It was weird whether I went out drinking or whatever, like me showing up and being there was very, very valuable. I didn't get the perfect attendance certificate like you do in high school, but, but man, if they had one, I would have got it. It's wild. Cause I graduated. How in the hell did you manage? I know some nights you probably shouldn't have made it the next morning. How in the hell did you manage? No, that? I just did, man. I don't know if it did was you like, all your just, classes at two, 2 PM. No, what? it was just built into me. Like get, get up and go to class. Like it was just, maybe it was that walk on mentality I had. Like I need to be in class, but I did get my degree uh, in four years. And then I was a red shirt. So my fifth year, I didn't even start my master's. I just took like archery and like all these terrible classes just to be eligible to play football. So I was really like a pro football player my fifth year. Cause did like I didn't golf? have, did you take golf at Troy? I never, I don't know. I took archery though. That was wild. Yeah. I never hey, took golf. The, I can't remember. I was trying to think about this. I, you know, I went back to Troy about, you know, three or four weeks ago and spent some time with their staff. And I was explaining to Summerall how, the, you know, we had a nine-hole golf course on campus. Yeah. And how we would always – we'd go play golf. We would try to – we would basically cut on hole one. We would we would cut it across the football field, across the trees, to try to drive the green in one yeah. um, on the par four. And all these golf balls would be on the practice field every day. And we had two – I think they were brothers or twins or something that were walk-on kickers when you were established. Yeah, those pick- kids from uh, Vestavia, I think. I couldn't remember I what they were. Name. You remember their names by any chance? Yeah, nah, I forget. <laughs> but they would pick those footballs up, I mean, base, uh, golf balls up, and throw those damn things. Like, I've never seen somebody throw a golf ball as far as they would. They would pick them well, up. Well, that's about that's about all they could do. They were shitty kickers <laughs> and punters. They sucked. Sorry. <laughs> you don't even know their name. <laughs> no, they weren't very good. They could throw the shit out of a golf ball, though. But they yeah, would be, they the, whole, the whole practice field would be just speckled with golf balls every day. It was just, it was crazy. I remember that. I don't remember how they ever got there, but now that I, now that you tell me this, it's starting to come back a yeah, little bit. Yeah, because you remember the tee box was yeah, yeah, yeah. where the arena is now? The tee box yeah. is right there. Did they, that, did they get rid of that? Court? They still have the holes. No? I think they have some. I, I didn't see that. But it's not nine because they kind of made it, because they have a full, actually a really nice golf facility there now. Yeah. Well, we had a full nine hole course. Yeah. That had two different tee boxes. You'd go play. I mean, it was. And it oh was yeah, me and me and Brock, me and Brock used to our quarterback used to sneak over there. You know, our house was just across the street from the softball field. Oh yeah, we're we gonna get to... there because me and Summer <laughs> all told a story, uh, and I got to get some confirmation uh, about a story here in a little bit. I can't okay. remember how how much of a part of that you were, um, but I saw your I saw your little show notes. I think I'm. I, think I don't, we're on I don't the know. Same page I can't here. remember uh, exactly how much, but we'll talk about that here here in just a little bit. But um, did your your dad ever uh, share any good seal stories with you? You know, I grew up in Scotland, so um, there was a lot going on at that time in like the '80s um, with maybe Russia or somebody. But um, you know, they were gone a lot. No, he doesn't really share too much about it. He tells my kids more than he tells me. I think he. 
just likes being the cool grandpa, uh, you know, and tells them probably BS them a little bit, but they believe everything he says. So um, I know enough to know that, you know, my dad was and my, my oldest brother, shit, they served our country. So that says enough to me. And then my dad did 25 years at the sheriff's department after 22 years in the Navy. So um, I kind of came from a really solid background. I think that's important about being, you know, your dad raising men and showing you how to do things the right way. So my dad and my brother, two military guys are my heroes. Like it's not a sports figures. That's awesome. Yeah. That's the hard part, you know, with, you know, parenting our kids, you know, it's like, I, I'm always, uh, bored cause I got a 15 year old and I got mm-hmm. a 14 year old and I got a six year old. Now a six year old is a six year old, but the 15 yep. and 14 are going through the, through that, through that stage of life where it's time to, sometimes you have to snatch them up a little bit and, yeah, uh, yeah. and it's, it's, there's a fine line there and it's frustrating because they have more opportunities and things than we did growing up and, and, you know, they have to, to deal with so, ethic. yeah, they have to deal with so much more bullshit too. So yeah. I always take that into consideration with these kids, your young daughters, young men, man, it's a, it's a different place, but, um, the true values of life and, and things like that haven't changed. You just have to try to, you know, minimize some of this social media type mm. stuff. And it, it's tough. Listen, it's tough to be a kid nowadays, but t- kids are kids. I know they say kids change and they probably have a little bit, but like if we teach them the core values of compassion and caring for others and helping other people, that's never going to change. All right. We're going to shift gears a little bit. You know, obviously we all knew how good you were and how stone cold you were. I think the world kind of figured out how stone cold you were, I guess in 2007 was the big, Mm. was your no, no pun intended stone cold moment. Stone cold. Um, But, uh, in 2007, on your Super Bowl run, your first one, which one of those Lombardis is 2007, by the way? Who? Let me look. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, it is. We're going left. This one. This All right. one right here. Yeah, that one. All right. That's so the one. In overtime, in an NFC Championship game, it was a little chilly. Mm. And you made the longest field goal ever kicked. And what was what's the temperature? What's the you have some kind of record? It was minus minus. It was the longest playoff field goal in Lambeau Field history. Uh, it was minus twenty eight. Are you freaking kidding me? How no. bad is that? It man, it I, it's hard to think about. Like I'm so soft now. Like I can't. I, I see that highlight and I'm like, how in the hell? I get like I live in Kansas City. Like it twenty degrees and I'm like bundled up. But minus twenty eight. It was real real feel like you know, minus two or three, but then there was a wind chill, like serious winds. Um, Man, so I'll tell you a story. I've told this story a bunch, but um, we went out for pregame and Jeff Eagles from the U. I know you got some college football listeners out there. He was from the U. Great. One of the greatest punters of all time. We get out for pregame and we're doing our warm up after like five reps. Like he couldn't catch the football. Like, to snap a hole. Couldn't no, he just couldn't catch it. His hands were numb. Well, that so, ball slick too when it gets cold, especially the NFL balls. Slick and then just hands weren't even operable. Like they didn't move. So we just stopped the workout. And just I just looked at Jeff. I said, Man, look, it is what it is. Like, we're just gonna have to, you know, figure this thing out as the game goes along. So um I got off to a really good start. I made my first two. I gacked a couple, uh, one at the very end of regulation, and then Corey Webster makes an incredible play picking off Brett Favre in overtime 
Because, man, when we lost that toss and I had to kick off in overtime, I went, damn it. Like, I thought, you know, we're giving the ball to Brett Favre, and this was first score win yeah. NFL OT. And I was like, man, I messed it up. But fortunately, Corey Webster, LSU, uh, makes an incredible play, jumps a route on driver, picks it off, and then four plays later we kicked a field goal and, and, and won the game. So wild times, man. But um, 47 yards still stands every year. I cheer for everyone to make everything under <laughs> You know, forty-seven. So I still want my record to hold. Um, How Lambo. do you stay warm? Like, I so mean, I we have a position player. You know, you're, yeah. you're rolling, but in that in that weather, how do you stay loose and warm? Man, it's it's a huge challenge, and like you are so mentally and physically exhausted when the game's over. But in the NFL, they have the heated benches, so those benches are pretty warm. And then underneath your feet, there's like this grate that shoots heat up too. So like you put your big cloak on, you know, and then you kind of make a little tent around your body and let the heat just, I mean, listen, it's the only way to survive. Never mind, like play football. So, and then we have like chicken broth out there, you know, hot chocolate, whatever the hell it is to keep you warm. But it's staying warm is the hard, like, and, you, and listen, you don't ever get warm. You just, you're, you're, you're able to survive. Like you're not ever hot. Um, like if you want, look at OC, like from that game, like the D lineman, they didn't wear anything underneath their shoulder pads. Like they wore like their pads and their jersey. I'm like, y'all are crazy. Now and then when they it was funny because like when they come to the sideline and they were sweating a little bit, it would like freeze on their face. But man, there's dudes with real issues still to this day from that game. Like some people's body parts have never like fully healed. Really? So I'm gonna tell you that yeah. So when it, when we get done with that game, I had a kickoff. I it might have been in the second quarter. And I hit it a little high on my foot, and I was like, damn, that hurt so bad. So you go through the game, go through the game, we get done. And then, obviously, I get in the locker room after the game's over, and I pull my socks off. And I pull my sock down, and I swear to God, Tyler, boom, like instant baseball-sized nugget on my – in between my big toe and my foot ankle. Like, it just went poof. So I had busted, like, every blood vessel, everything in my foot, on that kickoff. Now the, the cold and the, and my shoe and the sock compression were keeping the compression. were keeping that from swelling. So, man, I was like freaking out. I like yelled for Ronnie Barnes, our trainer. And I don't know who was next to me. He's like, damn, like everybody's <laughs> like freaking, I'm like hopping through the locker room on one foot. Media's looking at me like I'm crazy, but I was like, so they were almost not going to let me fly home because of the, the injury that I yeah. had caused through blood pressure and flying at altitude. So I ultimately ended up flying home, but then I had to get that thing immediately drained when I got home. You got a Super so, Bowl play. Yeah. And so thank God we had two weeks to play, uh, practice. I, I didn't kick again until 10 days later. So I kicked in Arizona when we got there on a Thursday. So I took that whole week off all that middle of the week. And then I kicked a little bit on Thursday, maybe some Friday and played in the Super Bowl on Sunday. But, I was not fully healthy because it swelled up not as big, but it swelled up again after the Super Bowl. That's so crazy, crazy, wow! That's what that cold does, man. It's wild. Yeah, the, the um, when you when you went out to get that to make that kick, you know, and they you know the the announcers they you know that they always start throwing shade. Oh, never, nobody's ever made one this long. I was like, well, and I had missed LT. a couple too. So yeah, and yeah. I had missed a couple. So um, I, I get it, but the the the. the the conditions were miserable, but you know, I, like I said, I had, 
I had so much confidence from my miss at the end of uh, – with eight minutes to go, I hit a 43, 44-yarder wide left. And I hit it really well. So, for me, I was just always like, man, I can make a 47, 40, 48, maybe up to 50. So, like, I know I, – like, I was always so good about forgetting about misses – and I took the good out of that kick. And I was like, man, I hit it really well. If I start it a little bit closer, further to the right, I'll make it. And so that's why I ran on the field without coaches calling my name or coaches saying field goal. That's so. what I was going to get to. And that's where the ultimate swag, and you've told me this story before. I didn't know. I don't know if you've told it, but I'm sure you have. I've told the story a thousand times. But I know our people listening probably haven't heard it. Tell them about, all right, nobody said field goal. You just said, I'm going to kick the damn ball, and you went out there. Yeah, because listen, the reality of where I was, I was on a one-year deal. I had just been traded from the Chiefs to the Giants. So this was my first year in New York. I'm on a one-year like minimum deal uh, as a Giant, and I had a really good regular season. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, you know, not that my career was in the balance, but I really thought my career with the Giants was in jeopardy um, had I not ran out there on my own and made a decision and given Coach Coughlin confidence. Because like when I ran out there, you know, we've talked privately. He's like, Lawrence, you really gave me the confidence to say kick it because you watch all these NFL films and all this stuff and like Coach Gilbride and all these coaches are in Coach Coughlin's ear on the headset saying, don't kick it, don't kick it. What are we doing? You know, and then uh, Coughlin believed enough in me to let us let us kick. So, again, it's just mentality. Sports is all mentality. Uh, I tell our young kids that I coach, I tell my, my kids um, – Every, there's a lot of talent out there, but the thing that separates everyone out there is your in, in between your ears. No question. I wish, you know, that's the heart. You know, that's the you know, I'm coaching baseball. Coaching my son's 14 year old baseball team. That's the you know thing I try to explain to him is like, look, you know, it doesn't matter if you're playing baseball. You know, mm -hmm. badminton. You're you're married. It doesn't matter. Your mentality on how you approach things affects everything. And being so, strong minded and being tough mentally. That's that's why to me and the people that have coached with me know this. That's one of the the number one qualities that I look for in when I'm recruiting a kid is how mentally tough are they, how mentally put yeah. together. Because that's and, what and that's the hardest thing too, man. Right? I know we've talked, me and you have talked a lot about recruiting. That is a very tough thing to evaluate um, oh, because because everyone's up here when it's going well and riding high. But, you know, it, it's really the same thing. You know, if we talk about the best quarterbacks in the NFL, obviously Tom Brady is up there. But if you talk about best pure talent, it's Aaron Rodgers, right? No question. But but Tom Brady's mentality separate. He doesn't have the physical gifts that Aaron Rodgers has. But his mentality separates him from everybody. If I had to pick a quarterback, we would probably all pick Aaron Rodgers, right? If we just hey, needed good. to, you know, or, or some of these other – talented guys but like tom brady's mentality separates him and yep. that's that's sports in general i would go I, I know i haven't told this i when i would go i was getting serious especially at my position okay when i was if i was going to see a kid in the fall you know when you start getting serious about kids you're gonna go see them play a game or whatever i would purposely schedule my trips where i knew that they were going to get beat so if uh, I would look and see who's on their schedule, who the, the toughest opponent that they're going to play that I think they're probably going to lose, and I would go to that game to see how they respond, wow. and you know, to adversity, and that gave me all the you know, and I've got, I've left at the end of the first quarter many a time, you know, and I've stayed longer in some, you know, and I think that's a big a big thing I used to do, and then you just look at their body language. I watch how they so at receiver. Yeah, I want to see you know. 
because the quarterback's going to get sacked, especially receivers, okay? They're going to run routes down the field. They're going to get open because they're talented. If they're not getting the ball, they bitch in and they're throwing their hands up. Right. Or, they, or are they leading the right way? When they get their ass knocked out, are they going to get up and go and get it, and give it back? Or are they going to play soft? Because you, you, a lot of times, you know, you got front runners, right? And they're going to go out as long as everything's oh, yeah. hunky-dory. They're, you know, hooping and hollering. Everything's great. But when they get their ass hit in the mouth, they're going to respond differently. And that, sure. I think that's – that's the definition for me is how do you respond through adversity? Are you going to get up and fight? Or are you going to get back and get with it? You know, and the same thing with kickers. You know that. You, how do you respond after you miss a kick? You know, and the yeah. guys that are mentally tough are going to come back and respond and fight. And the guys that aren't, they'll fold. You see it in golf. You see it in all these, a lot of sports. You know, mm-hmm. you see it in life. You know, when people get knocked down, or they get back up and fight? Or are they going to quit and go home and cry about it? Yeah. I tell people all the time that, like, kicking in the NFL – is not how many you make in a row is what do you do after a miss and that's the reality of the position because we're all going to make a ton in a row we're pros like but you see guys you know when they miss one then they miss another and then if you can't get over that you're out of a job so kicking and, and you know kicking in college is not as much but kicking in the nfl is what do you do after a miss not how many you make in a row that's awesome all right 2011 we had deja vu in 2011 so that, that's your other Lombardi over there. That's okay. it. And then another overtime win against San Francisco this time. Just old hat. You was, you was rock and Man. rolling out there. You know what? It, I, was, I was more comfortable. I'll say that. You know, you get more comfortable from past experiences. So, again, not as cold, but, man, it was raining all day in San Francisco. Field was wet and muddy, which is horrible for a kicker. But um, it was really – it was a short kick. And so um, – it was a weird deal. We, I go out there, get my spot and Steve Weatherford's our holder. And I'm like, damn, man, we don't have, we had this little, you know, 18 inch section where it was just a pothole mud. And I'm like, damn, I said, I, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, we line up, we get a delay a game. I'm like, perfect. So it just worked <laughs> out. I don't know how it worked out, but we got a delay a game. I guess we were late getting out there or maybe something was. And so we back up five yards, perfect piece of grass. You know, you got to be lucky to win these Super Bowls. You got to have a little bit of luck. I, th- I can think of some of the fumbles we got and some of the Super Bowls and plays we made. But uh, we go out there, we make the kick again, and it's wild. And then, you know, the first person I see is my boy from Troy University, Jarrell Jernigan. Um, first hug I got was him. So that was cool for a lot of reasons. Um, again, we had three guys from Troy on that team, me, O.C., and Jarrell Jernigan. So – we always used to talk smack in the locker room because LSU, Florida, all the big schools are in there. Here we are, you know, Troy, we got three of us. And, and Jarrell, Jarrell's career was cut a little bit short because I think he was in the wrong offense. But, man, yeah. he was a great player, and he had a great Super Bowl for us the following couple weeks. So he single-handedly cost me two rings, um, one at Troy and one in high school. So the year before we won a state championship in high school, he was at a Ufala? Tri- at Ufala, he was mm-hmm. a triple option quarterback. And they had to go – they had the ball at the minus nine. They didn't throw a pass, and they hadn't thrown a pass in three weeks. And he was the quarterback in a triple option offense. And he went on a three-play, 91-yard drive in 38 seconds by himself running the triple option and, be, and walked it off against us. Man, he was so a baller. I, yeah, you know, it, 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 and it's it's weird. You know, people call these guys like, and I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but no, it, it's football shows. So I, I feel like, Jarrell, like guys get drafted to the wrong spots all the time. All the time. Right. And, and Kevin Gilbride's offense was based off like a like a Plaxico Burris, 
Uh, Kaheem Nix was a little bit bigger than, you know, he was there with Jarrell. And uh, Dominic Hickson, these 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", you know, plaques of 6'6", guys. And they thought that Jarrell, Jarrell, Jarrell would have had a 10, 12-year career had he went to Green Bay or something like that, yeah. like where they Kansas used City. the slot. Yeah. And he, it just didn't work out. But, man, he had a hell of a Super Bowl for us returning kickoffs. He put us in a lot of good spots. Um, and I know he's doing his thing down in follow right now. but You know who's had a, a good career, but I think the exact same thing about is T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. Well, he's had – yeah, he had I mean, a lot he's had more a good success. career, but I think it could have been better at other places because of his skill set. Yeah, when Andrew Luck went away and then kind of the, you know, the merry-go-round at quarterback they've had the last two or three years. And for a small dude, too, man. Yeah. He's he's not big. He was a baller. FIU. Woo. Yeah. He could get it. All right. A question. I'm, I'm just curious. Um, the Super Bowl. Okay. You've, you've played in it. You've played in it a couple times. Is it just another game to you or <laughs> was it, or was it which, what everybody thinks about it? Man, it's a, it's an out of body experience. It, it, the first one for sure, like, you know, we, you get there during the week and I kind of had this plan. Okay. I'm not going to turn the TV on. I'm just going to chill. I don't want to hype it up more than it is. Right. Cause the whole week is, is, you know, projections and this guy's going to do well and this guy is going to do that and this team's going to win. So I, I really tried to like eliminate that from my week, which I did. I was able to stay off the TV. You know, we played a bunch of video games, me and all the boys in the hotel and that kind of kept our mind off stuff, but getting to the game, man, wild. It's like, you know, whatever whatever the most nervous is you've ever been, multiply that times a thousand. Like that's how I felt. Um, that's saying I did, a lot because you, you you don't get nervous a lot. No, but but like it, it was weird. It was just all the hype and buildup, and just um, you get to the field and nothing's normal. Like there's people everywhere in suits and there's pain on the field where there's not usually paint. And it's like, as a kicker, I'm like, you know, get off my hash marks. I don't want all this paint. I don't want all this damn paint where I'm going to plant. And it's, and the whole thing is just weird. Nothing's normal. So I think that's what, you know, pro, pro athletes love um, routine. And so like that kind of freaked me out. And then uh, once I get into my warm up, it got better. But then of course you got this wild pregame, right? Uh, oh, yeah. someone's 18 people sing and then there's dancing and then there's an anthem that's and then the game starts and we go on a 10 minute drive I, I don't know if it's still the longest drive in, in Super Bowl history and uh, we kicked a field goal so getting that out of the way early man it was like you took like a thousand pounds off my shoulder because you know everyone gets asked about Scott Norwood the week of the Super Bowl the guy who obviously missed against the yeah. Giants for Buffalo and Scott was a great kicker. He just missed a long 47-yard field goal on grass, uh, you know, to lose the Super Bowl, so to speak. So that's a question that pops up in your mind. And obviously, as a kicker, you know that's what you signed up for. And and you just you just don't want to be that guy. Um, so, but it is nerve-wracking for sure. Like the first one, and then once I got the kick out of the way, I think it was a 32-yarder, we go up three zip. Everything starts to settle down a little bit, but it's still it's still nerve wracking, man. Um, the second one was night and day better just because I like, again, like the NFC championship kicks, I had been there, done that. All right. And it could be the Super Bowl. I don't even know. I don't know if I've ever asked you this because <clears throat> I know you, you, you view things in a process way, but what was the most pressure kick that you think, and I'm not talking about because of the, maybe the moment of the game or whatever, but you felt the most pressure 
making that kick over your career. Mm. I mean, it, listen, it still has to be the one in Green Bay for a lot of reasons. Um, what was at stake that night? Um, how hard the guys had played and, um, you know, we had an opportunity to win the game. So, and then there are a lot of things personally, right? Like my career, yeah, my career, career every I'm thinking, you know, I missed that. Like I'm, I'm at the bottom of the Hudson right now with concrete shoes on. So like, <laughs> Hey, the New York mafia would have found me and just chunked me in there. Um, but that was just, not that I thought about that at the time, but instead but like, you're a made man now. Yes. So, but like after the game, man, I'm running through all these scenarios in my head, like, damn, you missed that one. And it's a wrap. Like you're <laughs> like, may I, I might've played in the league again. I'm sure somehow maybe filled in for like somebody that got hurt, but I would have really had to earn my way back into somebody's good graces. So I think for those reasons, that kick for sure. Um, and the temperature, the historic nature of Lambeau field. So definitely the 08 NFC championship. Do you ever now that now that we're getting old and gray? Are you getting great on the beer? Sound getting some? Nah, man, I still look fresh. Look, look I got, I got, I got some salt right here though, baby, <laughs> and a mole. I may need to get that looked at. Um, I'm not really gray, man. I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have, and I can't grow a beard. So that's another negative. Look at this thing. There. It's so bad. Yeah. I try, I try, but it doesn't look real good. Do you, do you still like? Do you look back or you, do you still – because I know you're a huge competitor. Do you still get just ridiculously pissed off about any kicks that you missed? Or you oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's wild. You remember – I can remember, like, if I really sat here and thought about it, every kick I missed pretty much. That's great. Um, and it's only because, yeah, like you mentioned, you are a perfectionist and and you do make – you know, when you're in practice, like, it's it's a rarity to miss – you know, maybe one or two kicks per month in practice. Like, and you're just so used to this automatic That's nature. By, itself, by the way. Yeah. One training camp I had, I think 2011, I mean, and you know, everything as you know, in football is charted and filmed and categorized because they want to make sure you're not slipping. And so one training camp in live drills, I was 70 for 71. Um, and that's kicks from 54 to 29 to 48. To, and that's, so that's probably my best camp. Um, but typically you don't miss more than, you know, five or six kicks. Uh, we've seen guys miss four and five kicks on a game in yeah, the last couple of years, but, but it's just, you know, listen, it's really the quality of the snappers and the holders. I always said the better to snap, the better to hold. That just makes my job easier. That's awesome. All right. I want to get to this. Um, before we get you out of here, there's a couple of things I'm going to get to. Um, let's talk about it, guys. I, I was uh, pissed off about it. Uh, I saw your tweet uh, yesterday, and I know how pissed off you were about it. But Adam Scheffner, um, Dwayne Haskins' tweet. You know, Dwayne Haskins was tragically lost uh, Saturday morning. Um, mm-hmm. And then we somebody feels the need, Adam did, uh, to – bring in his career success into a tweet that has nothing to do about it. And I mean, just, I, I, I don't, I'm so pissed. I really, it's hard for me to formulate how pissed off I am uh, yeah. because that's just, that's bad human. Uh, and that's just, that has nothing to do with the tragic loss of a young man that's, you know, young and has his whole life in front of him, but to bring up anything to do with his athletic ability. No. And listen, Adam Schefter has been guilty of this before. Maybe not necessarily in this light. 
um, when he exposed JPP's records. He's got a, a knack for doing this type of stuff, and there's no place for it. Like you mentioned, uh, Dwayne Haskins is somebody's son. I believe he's married. He's somebody's yep. husband. Um, and he was 24 years old and got killed in a very horrific way accidentally, I'm imagining. And and for him to go into like his career, who gives a shit? Like this is this He's is a for human fun. being. Sports is for fun. It's entertainment. This is a real life story where a young man at 24 with his whole life ahead of him lost his life. And and that's the best you can do. Um, listen, it's it's we got a long way to go in this world with with media and the things uh, we talked a little bit about this before we came on air. It's who's first, not not what's right. And so you know, Gil Brandt's another one. I'll throw him under the bus too. I thought what he said was even more egregious. Uh, and there should be consequences um, for these people thinking they can say whatever the hell they want on Twitter, um, especially the amount of compensation like a Adam Schefter makes. Uh, yeah, Gil Brandt, I'm, I'm not so sure. Million? I don't know. Was he making $10 million? 10 plus, now? 10 plus. And then, you know, this Gil Brandt, um, uh, he's got a platform. He's got a national radio show. And you're spewing that kind of nonsense. Like these people got to be held accountable for that shit. And and let's just say this: rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. I mean, what a what a tragedy. Uh, yeah. Twenty four years old. Where I get pissed off, and and look, it's you know when you when you're in the coaching profession, and when you're you know the kicker, and you you worked in the hardest media, you know, in the history of the world in New York, right? They're gonna be every. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're gonna drill your eyes out about everything you do. And that's fine because if it's coaching, hey, y'all suck, y'all need to be fired, whatever, that's part of the drill. We signed up for that. But when it comes about, you know, as a human being, um, your life, um, those things, like there's no ethics anymore. Nobody gives a shit. They want to get as many – they want to be as controversial and as fast as they can be to create clicks. Now, the accuracy of whatever we're putting out there is totally secondary. It doesn't even matter matter anymore. Nope. It doesn't even matter anymore. And that's no. a disgrace to everything out there. And the problem is, is now on uh, social media, message boards, whatever you want to call it, it's all the damn gospel. If it's on a message board or if it's on yep. if it's on social media, it's the truth. And it's not always the case. And I just get very frustrated with people who uh, don't take that into account, that that's somebody's freaking, like you said, that's somebody's son. son. That's somebody's husband. Yep. And he's 24 years old. It doesn't matter. Uh, what you think about his success or no, that's, that's, that's not the point. And yeah. it just, it's really, it's really disappointing that we got people um, that are being celebrated basically, because that's why they have the job. Okay. So well, you listen, they, they, they have the blue check mark, right? And it's like, when they tweet something, a lot of people, and you look at, I don't know how many followers Schefter has or Gil Brandt, but they've got millions of people we'll see that take Adam's what they got. They take what they say is the Bible and listen. 9.4 million for Adam Schefter. So think about how fast that spreads, right? Whether it's right or wrong. And, you know, we're censoring um, politicians. We shut down their accounts and people that spread, you know, mis-messaging. They need to start holding these these people accountable. Adam Schefter should lose his Twitter account for a little while or something. You you Or whatever. I don't know what you do with them. ESPN needs to do something. This is not his first infraction. Uh, Gil Brandt, same way. I feel very strongly about what... Gil Brandt said was disgusting. And if you go back and look at his tweet, I'm not going to read it word for word, but it is disgusting. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show uh, read Gil Brandt's tweet, and I don't care that he's 90, 91, however the hell old he is. Um, that doesn't excuse you from using that kind of language when referring to a young man's death that that was very tragic. So, 
He said, this was on NFL radio, when he was asked about, this is uh, Gil Brandt. Yep. Um, he was a guy that was living to be dead. Quote, it was always something with Haskins. Maybe if he stayed in school a year, he wouldn't do silly things like jogging on a highway. It's disgusting. Like it, the whole, he doesn't even know what, what do you mean jogging? What, what did he have a police report when he tweeted that? No way. Um, so there has to be consequences, man. Otherwise people are going to keep spewing all this nonsense on Twitter. Um, and uh, you know, I have a blue check mark, but I tried to be, uh, very understanding of even critique of players as a former player. Like it, this is, I'm not talking about me right now, but I'm just saying you got to be very careful with what kind of messaging you're putting out there, especially those guys, they should both be held accountable in some way. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm now, now I'm all pissed off. So let's, yeah, it's yeah. it's just the world, right? It's bad. Hey, curious. This is a. Uh, I think this is pretty neat. Uh, I wanted to talk about this because I'm curious. I know some, a lot of the guys that I know. Um, I guess it happens with vets, and I know you know people. But off season versus in season living. So I like. Right now, you're living in Kansas City. <clears throat> like, if you were still living, if you were still kicking for the Giants, okay, or if you were yep. kicking at Tampa Bay, how does that work with your family going to schools? You know, do you do you get a duplex and live there without your family? What's what's kind of what do the vets do once they have kids and they and they have a home base and, and move away to play? They they do a little bit of both. Like, you know, for us, like when I was in Tampa for the short time, my family was going to live here. And I was just going to live in an apartment or something like that. But as you become like an aging player, so to speak, where you're on like one and two year deals, you don't want to drag your family everywhere and bounce them around. And so you kind of always want to have a home base. And for us, it was Kansas City. You know, my wife is from here and her whole family is. So um, but, you know, I know a lot of guys like a Robbie Gould, who obviously is still playing a good friend of mine. He's playing in San Francisco for, for like the last four years. His family lives in Chicago. And, you know, Phil Dawson did that when he was kind of bouncing around. When you get to be an aging player, right, and you sign one- and two-year deals and you want to keep your career going, Dustin Colquitt does it. He lives here, but he's played the last couple of years. His family lives here. Um, you just have to do what's right for your family. And, you know, kind of jerking them around everywhere is probably not the right thing. I mean, the, the NFL season is short. Um, some kickers get a pretty sweet deal. Um, I know guys right now in the NFL that can fly home Sundays after the game. And then come back on Wednesdays. So you get to kind of go okay. home Sunday, right? Get a little leg rest. Yeah, get go home, see your wife and kids, especially, you know, kicking, to be honest with you, you don't need to do it every day. You don't have meetings all the time. But um, I know guys that kind of fly home Sunday or Monday morning, and then some some of them don't have to be back till Wednesday or Thursday. You don't have any scouting reports where they tell you to kick the shit out of it? No, nope. between the just, upside, hey, down just deep kick right, deep kick left. Onside, I mean, it's listen, just make your damn kicks. That's it. Said, they said, Hey, do you, do you know how to coach kickers? I said, You damn right, I do. Because what's your biggest what's your biggest uh teaching point? I said, Well, you see that yellow upside down H down there? Kick it really high, really mm. far, make sure it goes between those two uprights, and hey, you're always going to be successful. That's right. If you just make all your damn kicks, and by the way, we could do a whole nother show on college kicking. <laughs> My god. <laughs> How pissed off are you about college kicking right now? Horrendous. It's just, it's it's just so, and it's not the kids' fault. It's it's none of these kids' fault. These kids are all talented kids, but when they get on campus, who's curating this, nurturing this talent? Like nobody, right? Like like you got a coach that says, 
all they say is you're too slow. Get get off time needs to get better. You do this. I, I I'm a you know Mike Leach when he came out this year and and threw his kickers under the bus and said we're having an open trial on campus. That is on Mike Leach's ass. He is the head coach. You have talented kids on your roster. You need to just like a receiver quarterback. You need to coach these young men, man. And I'm telling you, I'm going to start a damn movement. Come pay <laughs> me. Never... I'll be on retainer. I'll put me on retainer. I will show up to your school and I will get your kickers right. I promise you I will. You going to take them to the bar? I'll take them. Yeah, we need to get drunk a couple times. <laughs> I mean, kickers need to have a couple cocktails every once in a while. And if we need to throw some hands, we'll do that too. <laughs> we, we can man. do that. We can, we can do that too. We got to toughen them up a little bit, but I'm telling you on a more serious note though, Tyler, these coaches are not, they're not coaching these young men. I'm I'm sorry. LT, I've told you this and you thought I was crazy, but I'm being dead serious. Okay. I've never been on the staff, no matter where I was, that we had somebody that was a literal kicking coach. Now we had guys that were coaching like. And oh, by the way, you've been to Alabama and some of these other great places. Yeah. We had guys that were special teams coordinators, but I'm talking about an actual kicking instructor that could yeah. literally like man no specialty you know what them special teams coaches are in college they're professional stopwatch operators all they do is tell you your damn get off time on punt and field goal and tell you you're too damn slow how about we make the snap better and the hole better and that'll make the operation better but over here you're too slow one two nine you're too slow my ass you don't know what the hell you're talking about so you just yell out numbers that's all these coaches do man i'm telling you it makes me mad for these kids because there's a lot of talent out there in these colleges, and it's, it's just not being curated or, you know, massaged. Hire me. Call me. I'm on Twitter. Hit me up. I'll come work at your school for like two days. <laughs> yep. You know I, what I'm I, talking about. That's why you're laughing. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about with that stopwatch. That's all they say, right? Hey. Hurry hey, up. So, so I don't remember what school I was at, but I was coaching the Wings. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know how that's, I got that's this tough job. spot. That's I don't a tough know how spot I got this too. job. I don't know how mm-hmm. I got this job. I was coaching receivers, but I don't know coaching the wings. And so every time we, every time <laughs> to keep my ass from getting ripped, every time we'd be in like you know fall camp or spring practice, and we'd get one blocked off the edge, I'm mm. like, "What was that damn operation time?" Yep. See, <laughs> see how you went to just just like a damn coach. Meanwhile, we're going to try it because everyone wants to blame the damn kicker. Oh, he was 138. That's too slow, Johnny. We got to speed that shit up. That's all they want to say. That's that's how lazy they coach that position. Meanwhile, your wing fucked up the whole drill. He, oh, I he guarantee let, you he, he let, didn't stab inside, did oh, he? No, he? He didn't, didn't stab. He, he let guys inside and outside. 1,000%. It's always on the inside gap. He didn't stab, and he took a, too big of a step on the outside. He's got to redirect the outside guy. But he's got to stab first. You're over there going, oh, Johnny's one four two, coach, so you don't get your ass chewed. That's right. That's a great move, though. It's not my first rodeo. No, it's hey. not. Coach, I think he was slow there. And then 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 without even blinking his eye, head coach is just gonna start motherfucking the kicker. Don't even ask what the time was. No. After you tell him some bullshit time that you lied about. I wasn't He's, on the stopwatch. Well, well, I, well, you, you, all y'all are like looking over there. What's the time? <laughs> Meanwhile, you did a shitty job coaching the wing. Hey, the best part is though is like the actual operation of the stopwatch. I mean, like it's not even close. Like they're they're like, 
you see the guy like the snaps oh, yeah. halfway there before he starts it. It's, right, it's good shit. Yeah. Or it's like the ball's almost to the almost over the line of scrimmage before he stops it. It's, it's Punt, punts just as bad, but the punt thing now is weird with all this rolling out and stuff like that. So you would have made some money as a punter back in the day doing that. Shoot, I could have done that. I could have been like a triple threat, but like you, you would have been like, yeah, we had been. we had Matt Allen. They, these young punters, this punting style in college football is keeping all these vets in the NFL. Seriously, you know, really they love is. it. They love it because they're like, yeah. man, there's nobody really punting traditionally anymore. And they can, and, they, and nobody knows if they can or they can't. And they they got their pro yep. day to show they can, and if they don't do it, then good yep. luck to you. Um, the <laughs> all right, so let's let's. <laughs> I got a couple things. We'll get you out of here. All right, so we we've teased it. I actually told the story with Sumrall. Um, so we had a playoff game at Troy. Um. Did you did you listen to this a couple weeks ago with someone? Mm-mm. Okay, no, not yet. All right, so we had a playoff game, and you and Brock lived had a house right on the backside of the golf course next to all the Ferrari houses. First of all, before we get there, how great did you, location, great how did location. You and Brock, is this listen. NIL before NIL was available? How this did was you and Brock, NIL. That's a great. That's a great. This was I NIL. Know how you and Brock got in a university house. The only university house next Man. to the sorority houses. Listen, I knew, who to, I knew who to align with. I was aligned with the starting quarterback of the football team. So it, it's wild to think this was NIL before NIL. And I don't want to get Troy any sanctions and lose our banners, but like it was a, it was just a house. And hey, instead of us, limitations, we're good. Instead of us staying in the dorm, we stayed in a house on campus that the school owned. And by the way, the thing was a freaking mouse infested trap. Like it wasn't anything. It great, wasn't about the house. It was about the location. location of the house. Yeah. And we had like seven sorority houses right next to us. And then we were up on a hill. They came and did all of our lawn and maintenance, the physical plant. Yeah. Everything was done. And then we had, you know, we had that big hill. You could sit up there and watch uh, the, the softball team play. Man, it was ideal. Man, what a great place. But I have no idea how the hell we got it. Probably because of Brock Nutter. Yeah, our that's so. First of all, you had the house next to the sorority houses. Yep. So we had a party, or y'all had a party at your house, and it was like we had like a one p.m. game that we lost. I don't remember who we played. Maybe an App State or somebody like that. I don't remember. Oh yeah. All right. Well, we lost the game, so we were not in a good mood. So we decided to start the party a little earlier at your house. And so I know it was obviously you two, and Blake Carruthers was with me. Okay, and. Maybe Sean Pageant. I can't remember who the other one was. Maybe, yeah. All right, but at some point in time, we decided to end the party and go to the bar. All right, the front porch. And somewhere in the discussion of the night, Brock brings up that his mailbox key starts the Gator at Tony Tony's Gator at the at the football facility. Yeah. And so a group of us walked over the golf course from your house and stole the Gator and took it to the took it to the bar. Were you a part of that group? Because I really can't remember. For what, yeah, I don't yeah. want to say why I can't You know what's funny remember. is I want to say my brother was there too. So like I remember this vividly. And Brock, Brock and I had done this before. Like he, I knew we knew his key, I, and I have no idea how in the hell this worked. But his stupid little PO box key could turn on the gator. It was just dumb luck. And I was like, how did you figure this out? Like what did you do? <laughs> Go over there one day and just start whipping your key in and out of the damn keyhole so we had driven the gator before but not ever after having done some things we probably shouldn't have done and then we smooth drove that thing through the streets of troy so you were in the you were were you the one in the front seat 
I was in. I think I can't remember. I, I was in the back them. with Blake. I, okay, I so I would have been up front, or I think my brother was there. So maybe my brother rode back. But we were driving through Troy, obeying all traffic signals. So we're parked at red lights at and eleven thirty at night. People next to us, like in real cars, like who the hell? Oh, that's Brock Nutter. Like what's going on? So we we drove that thing like we were driving like a damn Ford pickup truck to the front porch. And, and just I'm still trying it. to figure out how, because I don't think you did this part. I know it was me and Blake, and 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 Brock didn't. I, I figured Brock didn't because he was a quarterback. Shaughnessy ran the shit out of us on Monday morning because we got caught. Yeah, I don't think – I think – did y'all get caught going back? Because I didn't ride back. back. Yeah, yeah, I didn't ride back with y'all. Detroit I must, I must have found something to go home with. So <laughs> I wasn't riding back in the Gator. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, – yeah, the Troy Police Department are great people, but I did have to. I did have to. Uh, well, you as as Brock, just put everything on Brock. Yeah, just put everything on Brock. Yeah, so we got the. But I had to run uh, pretty steadily on Monday morning. That was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> that's good shit. All right, what about? Uh, and last thing, I want to close on this. What What are your thoughts on high school kids uh, getting paid this Oof. crazy amount of money? And like, I'll tell you this. I, I didn't tell you this before we got started, but I had a phone call last night. Um, I'm kind of, well, I'm trying to, I got, I'm trying not to say this so I don't get anybody in trouble. Give me a second. Um, I've seen, I know people in all ends. I know what I'm doing now with the recruiting side. Yep. I know the football side, and then um, people that are involved, the agents that are involved um, yeah. on the other side. And so I've seen, I'm seeing all these angles of this deal, and just how, how crazy, and what's your opinion of uh, what's going yeah. on here with the NIL? You know, just being – I'm not really truly close to co- – like, I, I watch college football, but the high school kids, obviously it's it's a huge topic in sports and it is football-related. I'm i okay with it. I just think there needs to be a cap, right? I mean, we're giving kids a million dollars. Oh, more than and, that. And, oh, sure. You know, whatever. I'm just a million, two million, whatever the number is. And I believe we're setting kids up for failure in, in terms of – you know, if you do go to an Alabama, a Clemson, a Texas, a West Virginia, these types, these big, you know, big time D one schools, you're you're going there to 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 have some want to 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 like maybe go play pro football. I think we're taking a little bit of the want to out of it by, you know, because listen, what is what is at the end of the road after college in football? It's financial compensation. Yeah. Now that's not the only motivator, but for a lot of people, having financial security is when you give that to somebody whether it's 18 or 20, I think of the Spencer Rattler kid, right, in Oklahoma, Heisman Trophy candidate. He sucked last year. What did he do? The only thing he changed in his lifestyle was he got money from an NIL deal. And I think when people truly realize when someone gives you money and you have to go perform for it, it's different, right? That's why playing pro football is different. That's what I was getting at. And then you have to go appease, you know, obviously in Alabama, the kid, the young quarterback there, uh, he's a stud. But it seems like all the kids that got big money last year, some of these quarterbacks, it just didn't work out because there's added pressure on top of being a student athlete to appease the car dealers, the the check writers. It just to me, I think it's so I so having said, said all that, which some people may make sense of it or not. I think you got to cap it. I, I'm I'm fine with giving kids money, I really am. But let's cap it somewhere to where it's it's a it's a good amount of money, but it's you know, you know it's not overwhelming. 
that's to me going to be the hard part is how do you, because they're not technically tied to an associate, you know, tied to anything yet. And it's not, nope. it's not governed by the NCAA as far as that's concerned. And how do you, yeah. you know, how do you cap somebody's earnings potential, you know, and things like that. But right. the phone call I received last night on the way back from a baseball tournament was just, it's like, this thing's not stopping because everybody's like, oh, there's going to be a cap to it. Well, there's never going to be a cap. It's basically, do you remember how like the, uh, before the NFL uh, did the collective bargaining agreement with the 10, whatever years ago it was, where the rookies used to make all the money? Absolutely. Okay. Changed, in a good way, changed the way the, the league works. Correct. And so the vets wasn't getting paid anything and, and the rookies were getting paid everything and not pr- producing. Well, it's like now we're kind of in that mode, but there's no cap. And so... So this kid gets seven million dollars, and that's reported seven to eight million dollars. I've heard how the structures worked. It's basically worked to keep him there, so he you know he gets more money each year um, to keep him from transferring. Okay, that's wild. But he and he is a baller. Okay, do not get me wrong; he is a baller. But now mm-hmm. the next class is getting ready to come through, and what's occurring is is. These quarter these these people are saying, okay, well, look, this is this is the market now. This is what he got. My guy is comparable to him. This is what yeah. we want, and it's just gonna keep, you know. And you're just gonna keep. And then I'll tell you, you know, whenever Arch Manning decides to start taking money, and by the way, the Louisiana height, the, what's been keeping it so far, is been keeping it in check. Is the high school associations will not allow these players to take money and play. So last year, Texas was like that, and the Quinn Ewers kid that went from graduated early because he got, like, you know, equity in a company and got all this money. That's why he graduated. I mean, what do you tell your kid? You know what I mean? Like, hey, you're 17, you're fixing to get equity in this company, and, you know, it's financial stability for a long time. Take your English class in the summer and skip your senior year. And we're turning amateur athletes into professional athletes before they're ready. And I'm not talking about – I mean, obviously in football it's before they're physically ready, but also before they're mentally ready. 100%. And you can't just start giving 16-year-old kids millions of dollars. That And you said that very well. Ex- obviously you're, you're close to you know? it. But, I mean, the numbers – we have to find a way to compensate these young men. And obviously it's created – you know, an unfair playing advantage for for the big schools versus the Troys and the Middle Tennessees and the Georgia Southerns and the Sun Belt type teams. I mean, it's an unfair advantage. So I think they'll it's so new, right? I think there'll be some governance over it. There's gonna be some written rules of how it works. And these kids are just gonna be the ones that actually benefit because to your point, it's like, you know, Sam Bradford was the last guy in the NFL to come in and get that and, yeah. And get that guaranteed, whatever. He got like $62 million, it all guaranteed. And then on the flip side of that, Cam Newton was the, the first pick the next year when the new rule went into effect. And Cam Newton's entire five-year contract was $20 million, all guaranteed, but $45 million less, which went into the vets' pockets, which is how it should be and how it works now. I think there'll be something along those lines in college, but holy cow, man, it's the wild, wild west right now. Yeah, it's just – and then, you know, how, like you said, with the Troys and the group of fives, and this is going to mm. blow, it blew my mind, but, you know, doing what we're doing now, um, and it wasn't one of our, it wasn't one of our clients, but it was another school. Their recruiting pitch, this is a group of five school, their recruiting pitch to a kid 
was, come on and sign here. We're going to prepare you and get you ready for the Power Five. And I say, excuse me? Like, there is a school out there, a group of five school, that is recruiting high school kids, and their big pitch is if you come here, it used to be we'll get you ready for the NFL or whatever it was, right? We're going to get you ready for the Power Five. And I about just, I was just. And that makes a lot of sense. I've never heard we, that. I mean, but it's it, honest. But, I mean, but, if it's nothing else, it's the truth. But, I mean, this is what we've done to the game. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and again, apparently they didn't care. But when I was, when I discussed this with the NCAA many years ago, I was like, we do. And I, and I've, on Rich Rod's podcast last year, I talked about it. And it was always my stance before they legalized it is we do have NIL. It's called the NFL. And all the NCAA had to do was stand their ground and say, we are an amateur organization. And if you would like to make money on your name, image, and likeness, you can go to the NFL after year one or before you even, they should have done exactly what basketball does and don't restrict their earnings potential, which is why we're in this mess to begin with. And it would have taken the first player to leave high school or leave early after a freshman year because they're not ready. You know, they're not ready. The scouts know they're not ready. But the big blowback with that is the NFL doesn't want that because they don't want to be put in a position to try to take an 18 or 19 year old kid. Yeah, it's it's going to get wild, man. I think you're going to see multiple different like college leagues. You know, you almost like the haves and have nots because it's it's impossible to c- compete with with the you know the the four teams who we always talk about every year. Yeah, and it's just you know it's going to be and you're going to have like you know you're going to have some new players too. You know, like. Everybody's talking about well, Texas A&M. They may not win this many games. Look, they're going. They're they can't not lose. They got too much talent. This do you think you could do? Through. You think you could do like a like a salary cap for colleges? But I it mean, it would still be the haves and haves nots. Like not, like let's just say like Cincinnati, who's a solid, very good college football team. They're not going to have the resources that Alabama and Clemson have to like pay players. Yeah, it's not even like. I mean, could you do a salary cap? Sure, but now because but here's the problem is now if you do a salary cap, you're going to have to allow the unit, the schools to provide the money. Right now, the money is coming from from boosters and everything. Well, that's else. what I'm saying. You can almost cap it that way, like how much comes into the coffers and distributes because you know the defensive end, obviously that young man at Alabama who I think is a superstar, yeah. first pick of the draft next year or second. Yeah, Alabama's going to have the first and second pick in the draft next year. Yeah, period. and uh, Bryce Young and then the defensive end. Will um, Anderson. Well, golly. Like why shouldn't he? Obviously he's not the quarterback, but I don't know. I just think it's messy, and I think something has to be done. They'll figure it out. Yeah, the problem with the cap, though, is that right now it's coming from collectives and boosters, and they're doing this outside. If you make a salary cap, then now you're going to have to be able to provide the money from inside the yeah. the school, which now we're no longer the NCAA, right? So now that's part of the breaking off process. Yeah, the NCAA, like had, I mean, I don't even know what their job is anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's unique. It's unique. Well, they probably won't exist in the next few years. They when they with the portal nil they in one year they they decided to it's the beginning of the end they're dereg trying to deregulate everything and it is what it is but you know the portal's another issue that's a pain in the ass too oh dude you have no like it's it's so bad I mean and you, you gotta I mean it's it's just it's not just the portal it's like they oh we got this they think if they make rules that say hey you can't you know, tamper, you can't do that. I mean, guys have been paying players for decades. 
And do you think because you say some new rule they're going to follow? Okay, we're going we're going to be walk straight and narrow. Man, I talked to a, a I talked to a Division One coach in the last six months that told me he goes the NIL is like NFL free agency with no rules. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, like brutal. You know, to see. I mean, it's I don't know, man. It's just it's. You can't. It's another show. It's another sh- another show, Cisco. I mean, don't even get me started. I will be home here for 75 days. All right, hey, before we get you out of here, because I know me and you are big fans, this last thing we're going to talk about, the Masters. You know, um, I know – how many times have you played Augusta? I haven't. You haven't played? Mm-mm. Are you Never kidding me? Never played it, no. You got all, the, all your buddies on tour. I know. I'm going to play, play one it. day. I just have not done it. But, um, I've you know, I have some friends and some – customers that have friends that are members i just have not played but i plan on playing there before i kick the bucket so <laughs> all right have you so, played it no hell no i've okay. never even been okay i've, I've been never even been. i just never played it yeah i've never been that's a, it's definitely my bucket list they will not they would not want me to play augusta i would no? i would i'm one of those guys i, I would do something man do you know they let like today the media is all playing it do you know that's a cool I would thing need they to be, do? Like, I would be honest with you, I would need to be out there with like, like when, like, so Matt Luke played, this is not that long ago, Matt Luke played there and they were getting ready to, like, people were on practice rounds playing Augusta and he's like uh, getting chili peppers ooh. into Dustin Johnson coming up on the other fairway. Like, I don't <laughs> need to be so doing funny. that. Like, that's well, where I would be. The thing I is, would, they let everyone in the media that was there for the week play the day after the Masters. So today, a lot of these media folks, which I'm sure several of them are very bad golfers, are getting to play the course. But um, yeah, I have I just have not played it. Um, I plan on it though at some time. So what did you think? What did, what was your takeaway from the Masters yesterday? Love it, man. It's just uh, Scotty Scheffler's. Uh, he's on another planet compared. The guy to was else. on crack cocaine for about four days. I mean, and he's won four of six, and he won a WGC against my boy Kevin Kisner. So I'm a me and Kevin are good buddies. I always pull for him. Not a course he can win at. He's not long enough, but he made the cut. Um, Bubba he Watson. He put the lights out, too. Yeah, Bubba Watson. Me and him went to high school. He's won a couple. He wasn't a factor. But what Scotty Scheffler's doing is pretty remarkable. I think they so did. Only one other player's ever won four turn- three tournaments in a WGC in the same year, including the Masters, and it was Tiger like six times. So he's in good company. Yeah, Cam Smith had his had his shot there after eleven, and then one bad swing, man. Dude, twelve takes. Twelve is people, a nightmare. Twelve. I mean, that's how Tiger won his nineteen. I mean, they, they twelve. That's where Jordan, in. Jordan, remember Jordan melted yep. down on twelve and thirteen. Yep. I mean, it's I just mean, twelves. Like, it's crazy to me. Like, that's the one thing. If I ever played there, like, I would want to drop a bucket of balls. Yep. On twelve, and just it's crazy how much different the. You know, they, I mean, they're pros, man, like you're talking about. And, like, they don't even get close to the green. I mean, Cam Shank, Shankopotamus right man, there. Man, that green, that green is tiny. Oh, I it's would a sliver. It, I wouldn't want to see yeah. the difference. Like, it travels different every shot, the wind gust and everything else. And Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's nuts. But it's a tough hole. How about uh, any any coincidence that Bubba Watson's former caddy? No, Teddy, old Teddy, old Teddy Scott. Listen, he's got three of them. I think that's a huge thing. I mean, Teddy's been around a long time. He's one of the best out there. Um, that was a big deal. You know, Scotty Scheffler made that move in November or something like that. He's already made like yeah. nine million dollars. So, man, Ted Scott's a good caddy. He's good, that's his third be a good Masters. Christmas in the Scheffler household. Man, I mean, he's going to keep winning. I don't think he's slowing down either. 
No, because he's got a swing. He can, and he's only twenty five. I that blew me away. I I just just you know just looking at him. I'm not saying he looks old, but I just I didn't realize how young he was. He's just got to avoid, which I don't understand this because I never will pretend to understand it. But the same, I don't want him. Same thing happened to him that maybe happened to Jordan. You know, when when he came off hot and he started winning. I mean, he's winning majors, and then all of a sudden he decided that wasn't good enough, and he wanted a swing change. And he hasn't been yeah. the same since. You like, just got to avoid all that do, swing. Man. And I don't think Scheffler seems like that kind of guy that's going to tinker with the swing. No, he doesn't. So hopefully, hopefully he'll keep it going. All right. So tell everybody what we're doing now, so they'll know. Give give you little shameless plugs and all that good stuff. What were we up to? I listen what to the podcast I? by the way during the season. Do you? So I, I host the Blue Rush podcast. Uh, you can get it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Um, just during the football season for the Giants, so it's really a Giants only podcast. We do talk free agency draft. That'll we'll have a draft show coming up. Um, but it's through the New York Post. It's fun, man. It keeps me close to the game. I still love the Giants. I love watching. Um, and, you know, we get to have some really cool guests, young players that I haven't ever met, obviously, come on the show. and We just have a blast. And so it keeps me close to the game, man. You know, I really love football. It's done a lot for my family and myself. So, uh, yeah, the Giants suck, though, by the way. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. They have been terrible over the last 10 years. So hopefully this year it gets better. Um, you do have a lot of Giants fans, by the way, that are going to listen to this because we've got a lot of Ole Miss people listening here. So a lot of Eli, Eli okay. Manning fans. Okay. Yeah, so they know our pain, man. It's just been a real struggle offensive line. And, you know, hopefully Daniel Jones is the guy. But this is a big year for Daniel Jones, and we'll see if he is the guy of the future. But I think he is. So I'm going to go out on a limb, and I think Daniel Jones is. He's talented, but, man. But it's like, but. We've been saying that for four years. So if he doesn't get it going – you know, this year, obviously look for the Giants. Would not shock me if the Giants draft a quarterback this year. Really? Wouldn't. I, I just think With if there's Tyrod someone there, they – Yeah, I think if – well, yeah, that's actually a good point. I think if there's someone there they love and they can get them and they trade down. I'm not saying they're taking one at five or seven, but if they happen to find a trade partner like the Steelers, I think, want to come up and maybe grab Malik Willis out of Liberty uh, and the Giants somewhere in the 20s, you don't think – you like Kenny Pickett over Willis? I, I mean, do. I don't know. I like the kid at Ole Miss. He's my favorite. He's my favorite too, but I'm partial. I know. I know you recruited him, but I like him. I just kind of like his moxie. Uh, I don't know. He's got the – let me tell you something. He, like, he's got it. He, he's got it. And you Yeah, know, Matt Corral, we, that's his name. The thing that drives me crazy about the draft every year is the season's been over with, man. Yep. The film was the film. Let's evaluate the film and go. But They're all the shit that happens between the last game of the season and now about, yeah. oh, this guy, he, you know, you're throwing against air or, you know, you're not simulating game. I'm like, watch the film. I mean, you can't. Right. It's it's your resume is. The, the NFL is uh, the paralysis by analysis, man. They just get so enamored by uh, 40 times what you look like in shorts, how far you throw it. I mean – you know, when Malik Willis threw that ball in the workout, like 70 yards on a, like a rollout to his left, I'm like, he would have been hit right in the teeth after like three seconds. Like, he's, there's no way he's getting that throw off in the NFL. But, you know, it's all well, He may clicks. be the greatest thing since sliced bread. He may turn out yeah. to be that way. He's got, he's got great arm talent. We'll see. He is immensely talented. Yep. Immensely talented. And somebody is going to draft him in the first round. That's just the oh, way yeah. it is. But if you look at – His game film? It's not great. Just watch the games, man. Just watch it's the not games. great. It's not great. And, His game film is not great. And I don't understand what's changed. Like, they don't do – you don't drop – they don't go, okay, it's, 
Giants, you bring out your seven on seven out here, and and, and yeah. you know, we don't play just, seven on seven on Sundays. It's just egos, man. These coaches, these NFL coaches. Now, granted, there's a ton of great coaches in this country and in the NFL. It's just that one coach wants to say, "I can make this guy take him to the next level." So, and there's some guys that can, but just like you were successful at kicking, okay, when it comes to quarterbacks, I would like to go. I want my quarterback to be able to go and and get in a bar fight with me. I want a guy that's going to be in the foxhole. I want a guy that's tough. Lord have mercy. Last time I got in a fight, boy, was in training camp, and I paid a hefty price for a punch that I threw. That's the last one I've thrown. Was it a good one, though? Damn good one. Um, but that's the last one I've ever done. What kind of price so, did you have to pay? Uh, it was significant financial compensation to did the you ever get, <laughs> What was the biggest fine you ever got? Man, just a personal foul, like hitting out of bounds like a dumbass. <laughs> like in uh, preseason, it was so stupid. It was against the it Patriots. Was, it was in like, preseason? Yeah, I slung this kick returner down way out of bounds, and like Vince Wilfork got in my face. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I went. I was like, Big Vince got in my face. I said, I got to go back to my my teammates here. He like stood up next to me. I was like, Oh shit! I said, I'm gonna be over here. I knew he couldn't catch me. What was the fine? I think it was like 15 in the preseason. Well, preseason That's a lot. Game. Yeah, it's still the same though. The fines aren't limited by. My man, my man Richard Preseason. Owens that I coach with at South Alabama, who's now offense line coach at Georgia Southern. He was the he was a tight end and long snapper for the Vikings, and he got and he get he said he, he earned it. He uh, he dragged basically face mask, but like dragged the guy down on a punt, yeah, coverage, and he's got it framed on his wall. He said it was more than his weekly check. Mm, I was such an idiot too. I I like tried to. You can always have like a, a you can challenge the fine, so I like. I'm like challenging this fine. It was the dumbest thing. Wasted time. Like I just thought, oh, maybe because I'm a kicker, they'll let me off. <laughs> I talked to like whoever handles that. And they said, Lawrence, we're kind of going through the film together. And he's like, you see this action at, you know, 902 in the fourth quarter? I was like, yeah. I go, I think my hand got stuck. I made up some bullshit. Like my hand got stuck in this jersey. <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, we're going to keep the fine as is. Uh, and we'll take $15,000 out of your next check. I love it. Well, brother, I appreciate your time. And also, we need to buy Wills Up stock, right? That's what we need to buy? You can. Yeah, but I'm not allowed to give stock advice because uh, I work I'll give it for up, you. So. How about that? You can. It's, um, you can. Uh, yeah, that's all I can say. I'm not. You're not getting the SEC on my ass. No, and I'm not talking about the Southeastern Conference either. I'm talking about the SEC. Buy Wills Up stock. The and fly dogs. Wills Up when you get a chance. Sure. You can say that, right? Uh yeah, you can all fly wheels up if you want. Okay, all right. Well, I'll give you I'll give you some pub when you're down here, so you don't get don't get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> all right, yeah. brother. Well, I appreciate your time today, and uh, look forward to you coming down to Troy the, the fall. You catching the game? I am. I'm gonna go down in June. There's some camp they're having, like a kicker, punter, snapper camp. So they want me to come down there. That's where I must pitch my new idea for everyone to put me on retainer. There you go. That's a great idea. We'll get it started. Yeah, just appreciate send my you, brother. Che- just put my checks in the mail. It'll be good. <laughs> All right, appreciate you. I want to thank LT for joining us today. That was awesome. Um, Really, really uh, impressive human being. I've known him for a long time and one of the most mentally tough human beings on this planet. Uh, And he demonstrated it, and he does it daily. I encourage you guys, make sure you check him out on his podcast uh, during the season, especially you Giants fans that are out there. Uh, It's awesome. He is a phenomenal human being and phenomenal personality. I'll remind everyone to uh, subscribe to Home Visit Siski on YouTube. Check us out. The interview is there. Also on MPW Digital. And make sure you subscribe, like, 
and leave us our three-star review because you know we love it. Until next time, take care. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.